Hey, this is Nikki McCrary, lead pastor at Eastern Heights Baptist Church in Statesboro, Georgia, where we exist to be a life-changing church. So as you listen, I pray that you will be encouraged in your walk with Christ and that your life will be forever changed as you grow in your relationship with Him. Good morning. It's good to see all of you. Thank you for joining us today, especially if you're a guest. We are very glad that you are with us today and hope that you have a wonderful worship experience and will come back and visit with us again. All of you watching online, thank you for joining us as well as those listening by podcast. Earl Weaver, he was the famous manager of the uh, Baltimore Orioles, right? And he had the privilege of coaching one of the greatest, Reggie Jackson. But Earl had a rule, and that is nobody could steal base unless he gave the steal sign. But Reggie thought he was good enough to know the pitchers and the catchers well enough to know when he could steal base and when he couldn't. So sure enough, one day he decided on his own just to take off and steal second base, which he did, and he stole it very easily, right? But later on, Earl took Reggie off to the side and said, let let me explain to you why I didn't give you the steal sign. You see, the next batter was the second best hitter on the team. And so when he stole second base, that left first base open, right? And so they intentionally walked the next best batter on the team and took the bat out of his hands, essentially, right? And so then the next batter, he hadn't had any success against this pitcher, so Earl had to put in a pinch hitter early on in the game when he really wanted to hold him out until the end when it would have made a bigger difference and when he needed him most. And you know, too many of us do the same thing in our own life as we view everything through a microscope instead of a telescope. You see, Reggie Jackson, all he saw was the relationship that he had between the pitcher and the catcher. But Earl Weaver, he was watching the whole game, the entire thing. He was looking at the big picture and so it is with God God sees the bigger picture and although we get caught up in the details of daily living to the point where sometimes all we think about is what's best for us God has given us the signal that we need to steal every single opportunity we have to share Jesus Christ and the good news and the gospel with everybody out there that's lost as much as possible and that's why today's message is called unstoppable evangelism if you're new we've been going through 24, where Paul had been in prison for two years, basically because Governor Felix had come in. He'd let him deal with that. Well, sure enough, a new governor came in by the name of Fest. We'd like to have another trial with Paul. Can you get him out of prison and bring him to trial? But we already know from the previous chapter that that was a ruse. All they wanted to do was get him out of jail so that they could ambush him on the way to the trial and to kill him, right? So Festus says, well, don't don't you want to go to Jerusalem so that you can put all this behind you? I mean, aren't you tired of being in jail? But Paul knew something was up, so he says, no, I don't want to go to Jerusalem, but I will exercise my right as a Roman citizen. I'd like to have a trial before Caesar. Well, that presented another problem to this new Festus governor because he didn't have anything to charge him with, right? No charges. But he gets a break because King Agrippa and Bernice, his sister, comes along to meet the new governor. Once again, there we go with the names, right? Agrippa and Bernice. I know some of you probably have an aunt named Bernice or something like that, but anyway, uh, I've heard it before, but just not very often. But Agrippa, he's one of the line uh, of Herods that was considered to be Jewish. And so Festus thinks he can kind of help out the situation. He begins to try to describe all what's going on in chapter 25, verse 18. He says, but the accusations made against him, talking about made against Paul, weren't any of the crimes I expected. 
Instead, I was, it was something about their religion and a dead man named Jesus who Paul insists is alive. Then Agrippa said to Festus in verse 22, I'd like to hear the man myself. So one more time, Paul has the chance to stand before a king and a governor and testify for Christ. He has a chance to defend himself, but rather than go on the defense, he goes on the offense. And so what King Griffin thinks is going to be just another day of entertainment, Paul sees as an opportunity to be the evangelist that God has called him to be. And he's going to preach the gospel to the king. So what we're going to do right now is we're going to read chapter 26, and we're going to look at Paul's speech to King Agrippa. And I know it's going to be a long reading, so I need you to bear with me uh, because I believe it's one of the most important speeches ever given out there, and I believe it has a lot of relevance to our lives today. So we're going to begin in verse 4 where Paul makes his plea before the king. As the Jewish leaders are well aware, I was given a thorough Jewish training from my earliest childhood among my own people and in Jerusalem. If they would admit it, they know that I have been a member of the Pharisees, the strictest sect of our religion. Now I am on trial because of my hope in the fulfillment of God's promise made to our ancestors. He said, look, I'm not trying to destroy the Jewish faith. I'm the one that's been trying to keep up with it all these years. I know what you're talking about. That's not the issue. I'm telling you the Messiah's already come. Y'all killed him, and I'm telling you he's still alive. Verse 7. In fact, that is why the 12 tribes of Israel zealously worship God night and day, and they share the same hope I have. Yet, your majesty, they accuse me for having this hope. Why does it seem incredible to any of you that God can raise the dead? Verse 9, I used to believe that I ought to do everything I could to oppose the very name of Jesus, the Nazarene. Indeed, I did just that in Jerusalem. Authorized by the leading priest, I caused many believers there to be sent to prison. And I cast my vote against them when they were condemned to death. Many times I had them punished in the synagogues to get them to curse Jesus. I was so violently opposed to them that I even chased them down to foreign cities. Verse 12. One day I was on such a mission to Damascus, armed with the authority and commissioning of the leading priest. About noon, your majesty, as I was on the road, a light from heaven brighter than the sun shone down on me and my companions. We all fell down and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul. Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is useless for you to fight against my will. Who are you, Lord, I asked. And the next words changed his life forever. And the Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get to your feet, for I have appeared to you to appoint you as my servant and witness. Tell people that you have seen me and tell them what I will show you in the future. And I will rescue you from both your own people and the Gentiles. Yes, I am sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Then they will receive forgiveness for their sins and will be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in me, verse 19. And so, King Agrippa, I obeyed that vision from heaven. I preached first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that all must repent of their sins and turn to God and prove that they have changed by the good things they do. Verse 21. Some Jews arrested me in the temple for preaching this and tried to kill me. But God has protected me right up to this present time so I can testify to everyone, from the least to the greatest. I teach nothing except what the prophets and Moses said would happen that the Messiah 
would suffer and be the first to rise from the dead. And in this way, announce God's light to Jews and Gentiles alike. So he brings it up one more time, the real issue. And that is, did a man named Jesus Christ rise from the dead? Verse 24, he's interrupted. Suddenly Festus shouted, Paul, you are insane. Too much study has made you crazy. But Paul replied, I am not insane, most excellent Festus. What I am saying is the sober truth. And King Agrippa knows about these things. I speak boldly, for I am sure these events are all familiar to him, for they were not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Agrippa interrupted him. Do you think you can persuade me to become a Christian so quickly? Paul replied, whether quick, quickly or not, I pray to God that both you and everyone here in this audience might become the same as I am, except for these change. So as you catch that, Paul's been in prison for two years. He's standing in front of two of the most powerful, prominent, important men on earth. And he's in chains and he says, I wish you were like me except for having these chains on. I wish you were like me. He said, my prayer is that Jesus Christ and the change that he can make. See, this is the moment when Paul could have tried to do something for himself to improve him. I need to be like you. You need to be like me. See, Paul has one thing. That's our mission. Our mission as a church and your mission as a Christian is simply this, to invite people to be like you, a follower of Jesus Christ. And we can't allow ourselves to be distracted from that mission because there's a lot of distractions out there. Another baseball analogy here, there's two Hall of Famers, Yogi Berra, catcher for the Yankees, and Hank Aaron, big slugger for the Milwaukee Braves at that time. Anybody know those two names? Sure, they're Hall of Famers, right? Well, they met up in the World Series. It was kind of late in Yogi's career, but it was early on in Hank's career. Well, Yogi loved to do this thing they have in baseball called chatter. Okay, he liked to chatter it up. And, you know, my daughters played softball and stuff, and so, you know, a lot of chat, girls especially like to do some chatter, and they've got even cheers from the dugout. But anyway, Yogi, he'd like to do all this chatter, and it was kind of to build his team up, but more than anything else, it was to distract the opposing team members. All right, so Hank comes up. It's his first World Series, you know. It's early in his career. He's pretty nervous about the situation. He steps up to the plate, and Yogi's just back there chattering it up, man. You know, he says, hey, Hank. Hey, Hank, you're holding the bat wrong. Hank, you know you're holding the bat wrong, right? Hey, Hank, if you can't read the label, you're holding the bat wrong. I don't see the label. Hank, you're holding the bat wrong. And Hank doesn't say a word. He just stands there in the box. The first pitch comes, he hits it over the left field fence for a home run. And he trots around all the bases, and he comes, he steps on home plate, and he turns to Yogi, and he says, I didn't come up here to read. And you know, that's the way it is for us. We can get so easily distracted and some things in life will seem more important, but Paul would not be distracted by these things going on in his life. He stayed so focused and he prayed that people would be like him and start following Jesus. And we should do the same thing. We can't let the details of life get us so distracted that we forget to invite people to a life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ. And what we have to do, all of us have to ask others what Paul asked Agrippa. And that number one thing that we have to ask is to examine the Jesus story. Have you examined 
the Jesus story. That's what we need to ask people around us. See, the man, Jesus Christ, he was the most influential person to ever live. He really was. No single life has impacted more people and changed the world more than the man, Jesus Christ. Even the most secular historian will admit to that fact, right? And it's just foolish not to investigate all of his life and every one of his claims and to muster up all of the intellectual integrity that we can get to find out what the truth really is. And that's going to include reading the Bible to find out what he says about himself and what others have to say about him. And even if you don't believe that the Bible is the Word of God, you've got to admit it's really an amazing book, right? It was written over a period of 1,500 years on three different continents in three different languages by 40 different people. And yet it all points to the same story without any change in it. The story you would think would change over a period of time like that, but it never does. And it all points to this one big story about God and what he is doing in the person of Jesus Christ. And so that's what Paul invites King Agrippa to do in verse 22. I can testify to everyone from the least to the greatest. I teach nothing except what the prophets and Moses said would have, what the scriptures are saying here, that the Messiah would suffer and be the first to rise from the dead. And in this way announce God's light to the Jews and Gentiles alike. Now most everyone here, most everyone watching online and listening to my voice through podcast or whatever, most of you are a believer. But I believe there's someone that's listening today that is not. And you're still trying to figure out who this Jesus is. Is what they're saying about this man Jesus, could it be really true? Because Paul's saying over this thousands of years ago, Moses wrote. The prophets hundreds of years ago wrote. They all wrote the same thing. It pointed to the same story. It has not changed. And the only way that could happen is if it were indeed true. If it was were to be a fact. And so, Jesus came along and he did the same thing. Remember, there were two guys after uh, the resurrection. that They were walking on a road called Emmaus in Luke chapter 24. And they were pretty bummed because they knew Jesus to be dead. But then all of a sudden, Jesus shows up in front of them in person after his resurrection, but they didn't recognize who he was. And so Jesus said, hey, fellas, y'all are, y'all are talking out of your head about this stuff. He said, don't you know the scriptures? Y'all need to come over here and sit down with me. We need to have a little Bible study. Remind you what's going on here. And so that's exactly what he does in chapter 24 of Luke, verse 25. Jesus said to them, you foolish people. You find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? I mean, you've studied this. You've read this. Where's your head? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, that is the scriptures, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And so if you're trying to figure out and trying to decide about this Jesus that we're talking about, then we encourage you to start with the Bible, investigate the things that Jesus said about himself and others said about Jesus. And whether you believe it's the word of God or not, you just start in Matthew. And you start reading, and I believe what's going to happen is going to be the same thing that happened to Paul, on the road to Damascus and what happened to these two guys on the road to Emmaus. I believe that the living word will show up to bring the written word to life inside of you. And it will change your life forever if you will study it with an open mind and an open heart because God's word has always been strong and powerful, folks. You know, there was a study done a couple of years ago 
about prisoners in Canada. And, Canada, uh, and, and prisoners, whether they're in Canada or anywhere else, they can be some of the most creative about it, okay? And so what they do, the prison will give them nicotine gum to try to help them break, all right? But what happens is most of the paper that's available to them, it burns up too fast. So they're interviewing this guy named Robert. And they're asking him about all this. And Robert says, yeah, I smoke, Matthew. I, I smoke, Mark. I smoke, Luke. But you know what? When I got to John and I read about how much God loved me, I just stopped smoking. You know what? That's what happens when you open the Bible and God shows up. If you will begin to examine the Jesus story for yourself, it will change your life. Second thing Paul asked King Agrippa, and the thing that we have to ask other people is this, to experience the power to change. To experience the power to change. See, Paul's conversion story is told three times in the book of Acts. This will be the last time that we'll see it. But I believe it's because God wants to say to the church that the most powerful thing that you can do is to say to somebody, hey, don't look at what the church is doing. They'll let you down. Don't look at what certain people in the church are doing. They'll let you down. Don't look at what culture around you is doing. They're, they're going to let you down. Don't, don't listen to all this stuff. Out there. Don't read just a good book or go to a seminar. Listen, look at my life. Just look at my life and see what Jesus has done for me. And that's what Paul does. He comes on and he validates the resurrection by offering his own transformed life as evidence that he had met Jesus. What about you? If you've met Jesus, does your life show it? See, some versions of the Bible, they describe Paul's life before he met Jesus as Paul was always kicking against the goads. Right? Now, unless you've been in some intense Bible study, you have no idea what a goad is, much less what kicking against it means, right? But Paul, it was saying that Paul was violating his own conscience in everything that he was doing in the way that he was living out his life because he's going, you know what? I personally know people who have seen Jesus do miracles and they have verified what Jesus has done. And you know what? I don't know what to do with that. I really don't. And then I've watched... I've watched people that I have persecuted die. I've watched Stephen be stoned to death, and while they were stoning him to death, Stephen was asking for God to forgive them for throwing the rocks. And I don't know what to do with that. And then Paul comes along and says, you know what, I've studied the law as much or more than anybody listening today. I've not only studied it, but I have tried my very best to live up to it one hundred percent but you know what I can't do it I fall short so many times of living up to all of those so if keeping all the laws and keeping all the rules if that's the only way to get to God then I'm in big trouble you see Paul understood that all approaches to life change from the outside in they ultimately fail and they ultimately frustrate no, we've all seen those uh, cologne commercials, right? We're, and we usually have to hide our kids' eyes from watching them, right? Because they don't even say a word. There, there's no talking on there. It's just some background music and two people. And it looks like that if you spray on that cologne, it will definitely change your life, right? Y'all seen them, right? And I'm going, what the, you know, what's the deal with this? I mean, I wish I'd have known this ahead of time because, you know, I've been praying all my life God would change me somehow. 
I've, I've tried all these disciplines in my life that God says I need to be doing. I've tried to be a more moral person. You know, I've tried to get more knowledge and more education. If I'd only known that I could just buy this cologne and spray some, some stuff on it, it would change my life and I could have the life I always wanted. I'd have just done that. See, that's what the world, they'll try to convince you to do, is that you can just spray on the life that you want. Just spray on a new house, you'll be happier. Just spray on a new job, it'll make you want to get up in the morning. Just spray on a new relationship, it'll be better than the old one. But look, here's the problem. No matter how much you spray on the outside, all you're doing is covering up what's already on the inside. And see, the inside was the problem to start with. So you're just spraying on and covering up something that's already there. See, the only thing that can transform a life from the inside out is an encounter with the living Christ. And I don't mean just a head knowledge. I mean a heart knowledge. A true encounter with the living Christ. And that's why some of you aren't going to like what I'm about to say next. My wife always goes, oh, God. <laughs> But don't miss what I'm about to say. The reason you can't change your life from the outside in and the reason why you can't just spray on your way to a better life, it has nothing to do with you and everything to do with your enemy, Satan. You see, it's a spiritual warfare that we're fighting out there. And Jesus spelled it out clearly to Paul in verse 17 and 18. He said, I'm sending you so that you can open their eyes. Remember how his eyes were opened? His eyes had to be open. He said, I'm sending you to open their eyes so that they can escape the power, not of their selves, not of some habit they have, not of some culture that's out there or some kind of other thing. It's to escape the power of Satan. It's to escape the power of Satan. And then when they do that, they can turn to the power, not of themselves, not of some seminar, not of some good book or a good example out there, but to turn to the power of God. Jesus said everybody's blind. Everybody is bound up. There's a spiritual enemy out there and you cannot get free from what he's doing in your life until you turn to me, Jesus said. That's the only way. And there are those out there listening to me today, either in this room or by television or whatever you're listening to. And your eyes need to be opened. Because the devil's playing you for a fool. 15 and 16, he says, this is a trustworthy saying and everyone should accept it. So that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great pay. God was patient with you. Patient enough to you. They can be saved too. He's saying to King Agrippa, the change in me is because I have met life no matter who they are or how bad they might be. We believe that. Don't you? Supernatural happened to them that changed them from the inside out. And we share those stories every week. Those stories are shared every week in our lift groups on Sunday mornings, on Sunday nights, at other times during the week. And not only are they shared there, they're shared amongst us at other times. But not only are we supposed to share them in those situations. And we had a new class start this morning for young couples in which some of those stories were probably shared. And not only would you share them there, but we are to share them outside of those situations, outside of these four walls. We are to share with all who need to hear that Jesus is in the life-changing business. Look what he's done for my life. 
You see, the spray-on approach can only give you ought to. And Jesus can not only give you want to, Jesus can give you able to. Very important verse, Philippians 2.13. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. See, every one of us in here, we wouldn't have gotten up this morning if we didn't have a desire to serve God. But desire alone is not enough. We've got to have the power that comes with it. And it is God who brings that to us. You see, Jesus doesn't just redeem us. He releases us to become the person He created us to be from the very very beginning. That's to worship Him with all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our mind. Our every being. Because see, when you start following Jesus, you're signing up for the supernatural life. And that brings us to our third and final point. Paul says, I invite you all to expect the incredible. Expect the incredible. See, the funny thing is, Paul says, Festus says to Paul, you're crazy. Paul says, no, I'm the sanest person here. And then he asks the sanest question in the room. He says, why do you think it's incredible if there is a God that he can raise the dead? You see, when we invite people to follow Jesus, we are saying to them that there is a life out there that you live that, is, that takes the extraordinary and moves it to the ordinary. Extraordinary lives just become the ordinary life with a relationship with Jesus. And when you talk to people about that, you're inviting them into that kind of life, but it's hard to do if that's not the kind of life you're living, right? So here's our takeaway. First of all, I challenge you as a seeker to be open to encountering a God who still shows up and surprises those who thought he was gone. If you do that with an open mind and an open heart, the God that you thought were, was gone out of this world and out of your life, he'll show up and he'll change your life. Second thing you need to do. I want to challenge you as a believer to live a life that makes no sense unless Jesus is risen from the dead. You see, out of all the crazy lives that are being lived out there, Christians ought to be living the craziest lives. The way that we handle our money, people ought to think we're crazy, and some do. The way we handle our sexuality, people ought to think we're crazy, and they do. The way that we befriend people whose eyes are spiritually closed and blind, it ought to look crazy. We should be living lives that don't make sense unless it's actually true that Jesus did indeed rise from the dead. We should be living incredible lives, folks, as believers. And then one last thing I want to challenge us to do, I want to challenge us as a church to pursue life-changing goals that cannot be reached unless God does the incredible. See, I don't know about you. I don't want God to do the incredible. I need God to do the incredible. You know why? Because I need to be reminded often how incredible He really is. See, Eastern Heights has seen God do incredible things since 1965. This month, April, we will celebrate our 58th birthday. That's a lot of great things that we've seen happen over that period of time. And I believe God's going to continue to do incredible things here 
at Eastern Heights, I believe with all my heart. Now, I can name a lot of things, but just a few. Last year alone, we gave over $50,000 to 23 different missionaries. And we're never going to know the lives that were affected and changed and people brought to Christ because of that financial gift that we gave to those missionaries, right? And you know what? We're going to do it again this year. And so far, we've seen an incredible amount of giving to our Williams Building Fund. And we have an incredible opportunity to vote today to continue to move even further toward improving our facilities for our kids and the kids that are to come in the days ahead. I believe we have an incredible God. You know what else we're doing? We're asking an incredible God to send us our next incredible staff person. And we're believing that He will. So some have asked, how in the world are we going to afford all this? And you know what? I get it. I get the question. It is the most ordinary question a sane person would ask. But you know what's a better question? The extraordinary one. Not the ordinary question, but the extraordinary question. And that is, is there anything out there that our incredible God cannot afford to do? Would there be anything too big for our incredible God? And if that's true, then all that's left is our part to live out. Let's do it. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. It is going to frustrate us and it will ultimately fail. To fill our lives, to change our lives, to help us to live out. And our business meeting take place in the sanctuary immediately following the service. But for now, let's all stand. Let's worship the living, incredible God today. We hope you were encouraged by this message today. If you would like more details on our church, please visit us at ehbcstatesboro.org.